This week on the Magnificently Huge Podcast, sex, drugs, rock and roll, and cartoons. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Welcome everyone once again to the Magnificently Huge Podcast. My name is Brian, and this week my friends Chris and Eric are going to join me to revisit the 1981 animated cult classic film Heavy Metal. Heavy Metal is an interesting artifact of its time. It is the film version of a bunch of stories from a U.S. magazine that was actually a reprint of a French magazine and a hugely influential visual um, styles from from this magazine, Heavy Metal or Metal Courant, um, including the artist Mobius, French artist Mobius, who inspired like all sci-fi to come and uh, some others. Uh, it has a fairly deep uh, soundtrack of big name acts, almost none of which are actually heavy metal music, but uh, that's what kept it out of print for a good uh, 15 years, except for on the midnight movie circuit. And uh, yeah, it is a movie that is super juvenile, is really aimed at young boys who are theoretically not old enough to see it and uh, probably who need a lot more drugs than they had access to. But, I mean, nowadays kids can watch just about anything unrated on Netflix without any supervision, so maybe it was just ahead of its time. We'll talk about it. Uh, as always, we're trying to grow the podcast, so uh, you know, please subscribe to the podcast. If you, if you got it on iTunes, give it a rating. Uh, help us out. Uh, and if you want to reach out to us, uh, go to our website, maghuge.com, M-A-G-H-U-G-E.com, and you'll find links to all the ways to contact us, including our Twitter at MagHuge and our email MagnificentlyHuge at gmail.com. Okay, let's get some heavy metal going. Like, like Devo is heavy metal or something. Yeah, let's do the thing. So what famous person do you know of that died this week? Oh, there are what? so many. <laughs> um... Hey everybody, my name is Brian, and I'm going to call out that Charlie Watts of the Rolling Stones died this week. Yeah, raise your hand if you know who Charlie Watts is. <laughs> Some and, people and don't. I just found out from these two guys that Ed Asner died. Uh, yeah. Shout out if you know who Ed Asner is. Right? Lou Grant. Lou Grant. Well, also, wait, Lou Grant died also? He's the yeah, voice of him. I tried to give my name when I did that to, to yeah. do an intro. Yeah, and you did. Thanks, Brian. Uh, You're welcome. Oh, this is Chris, I'm, by the way. Did I say I'm Eric? And I just no, found you out didn't. that I'm yeah. Eric, and I just found out that Ed Asner and uh, Democracy died. Yeah. Yay. And hope. And hope. And hope. Let's and, not. Yeah. Let's not beat that dead horse. The horse died again. too. See, hope didn't die because if hope died, then we wouldn't care that all this stuff is going down the <laughs> toilet. That's true. <laughs> That's true. I'm just I just want to point out that Charlie Watts was slightly older than my mother and my mother is a square. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh <laughs>
That's yeah. True. Charlie Watts Although, did not enjoy being in the Rolling Stones. He just wanted to play jazz, and he was always yeah. like, "This is just my my day job." Yeah, which is why he always had that look on his face of, Ugh, "Yeah, whatever." What's funny yeah, was I saw some interview of his from like the mid late seventies, and he had like the long hair and whatnot. He looked just like Adam Driver. It was freaking me out, and so I thought <laughs> Adam Driver needs to play Charlie Watts in whatever oh. Rolling Stones biopic comes out. <laughs> so. Weird. The, the Charlie Watts anecdote that came up in my feed from you know, after his death was at one point, you know, Mick Jagger's at some party. And he's like, where's my drummer? And Watts hearing, you know, hearing this gets up, shaves, gets dressed, puts on his tie, comes downstairs and punches Mick Jagger in the face and says, don't ever call me your fucking drummer again. You're my singer. He <laughs> <laughs> yeah, goes back upstairs. La, la. <laughs> He made himself presentable anyway. first, though. Yeah, yeah. Th- that he took his time was very, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, rest in peace, Charlie Watts. Now you're going to be gathering all the moss. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Wow. <laughs> Anybody got some fresh shit? This shit is fresh! What y'all been doing this week? What's up? What's new? What's happening? What's hip? What's now? What's wow? I've been watching this cool thing on Hulu called Nine Perfect Strangers. It's oh, how's that? One of the many mini series that uh, Nikhil Keatman is in. It's very good. <laughs> it's a grown-up show. You know, it's a show for grown-ups. Uh, and and I, I that heard... really was driven home for me when I'm watching it. And in the middle of a scene, I go, I can't believe it. That's General Zod talking to Aquaman's mom. And I thought, yeah, this is totally not that story. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I uh, I heard that Nicole Kidman was uh, like method for this character and was always in character on set or something like that. Yeah. Is her character like the kind of person you wouldn't want to meet on a set? Like, she's very, no, I could, I could, I could believe it. She's very like airy, new age kind of, (sighs) but. With a Russian accent oh. and some kind of bizarre agenda going on behind her eyes, it's it's a kind of thing where episode to episode you're not going to really know what's going on. It's almost set up like a murder mystery, but so far I have not. Yeah, you know, there isn't a murder mystery. Um, but yeah, it's worth watching. There's it. The best part of it is there are a lot of well drawn characters. It's almost a study in what happens when you write a bunch of well-drawn characters and then just stick them together and see what happens. Boring. No, very good. Very good. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm Actual kidding. writing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> and well, I think right. there is a, there is a moment where somebody like lands, like falls, or something happens where they they end up in a superhero pose, and I had to call it out to my wife, and she's just like, "Oh, I wish you would shut up with that." <laughs> Seriously, but did she really add the words with that after I wish you would shut up, or was or yeah was it just a general statement? Well, because I so, you know okay. this this came after I made the comment about General Sod and Aquaman's mom, and and then uh, Ant Man's like cop friend who's married to his ex wife does the superhero pose, and I'm like, say, hey, see, yeah. It's like two degrees of comic book movies these days. Yes, yes. That's literally what it is. Everybody's been in one by now, right? Mostly. Right. Oh, and the um, uh, Samara Weaving is in this, the the niece to um, um, Hugo. Hugo Weaving. 
who you may remember from that that uh, was it hide and seek she was in hide and seek she was in um bill and ted three and right. something else very recently what was she really recently that was good uh i can't remember oh she was in uh gi joe uh oh okay. snake eyes so not that was good but yeah, yeah that was what she, she was in but she was also in yeah something right. called the babysitter a few years ago on netflix apparently is really good too but um um, 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 yeah, they do something with their makeup that like, she looks like she's got this nose that's like pulled up. Like she, she doesn't look like herself. She is like one of these mm. Instagram whores who has just got to post everything and is like, look how cute I am and all that. And they really do a great job of making her look like that to the point that I know who she is and I still don't see her. It's like, <laughs> it's crazy. I, and I realized they, they're shooting her, the camera is just a little bit below her neckline, like just slightly looking up, so that her nose looks like it's, you know, it's turned upwards. Mm. It's very weird. Anyway. Mm. All right, so recommended, though? Yes, yes, highly. Bold and words. how long, like, is it like a 10-episode series, or like, how, how big is this I'm thing? not sure, because it's not done running yet. It's it's one of those ones where they're rolling it out weekly. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm about six into it. And so prestige streaming television. Yes, yes. If you don't <laughs> love- like that kind of crap, wait until you know fall when it's all done yeah. and just sitting there on Hulu. Yeah, I love that all of the the people that are so used to streaming are now pissed off that sites are doing that now. <laughs> like they don't even remember the the decades of just having to wait it out one week at a time or right. months at a time. Makes sense. Thrones. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. So, I mean, like on. like kids today, they they know uh, online streaming music. What if you had to like pick up your computer and turn it over in order to yeah, listen really? to the other side? <sighs> Who wants to do that? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's just fun. All right. I remember, making a, I remember making a joke once. Uh, we were listening to Koyana Scotsy. It was on the radio. And I, and I said, Koyana Scotsy should be 45. We're on 33. And Brian exploding in laughter and then saying, this is the last moment in history you will ever get to make that joke. Because from this point forward, nobody knows what a record player is. Yeah. What's um, 45? Yeah. I'm I'm still not. I, it's a great story, but I'm having a really hard time believing it was on the radio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's college radio, college radio. Okay. Uh, or maybe maybe I just had it on because you know I, I I've always been obsessed with Philip Glass. I don't know. Um, I've been also. I listened to the uh, uh the first album, first issue by PIL this week. Because I've decided I'm going to go headfirst into PIL. Uh, I've kind of liked what I've heard over the last 30 years. And I was like, no, bullshit. I'm going to go through album by album and listen to everything PIL. Um, <laughs> all right. And maybe we'll have a future podcast where, where it's, you know, a uh, all things PIL. But yeah, I want to, I want to. It's very, it is the whole idea of post-punk, this first album. It's very raw. It's very, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, but let's give it a shot. And it's really good. It's the kind of thing you can't just have on in the background, though. You need to, like, sit down and listen to the goddamn thing. Because it's very hypnotic. 
weird that it's Johnny Rotten coming from the Sex Pistols, so most people knew him as just that like snarly punk frontman. But this is like full on, like if he'd have just jumped into prog rock or something. It's so right. weird. It's just strange. <laughs> but to he's me. still a smart, snarly frontman. He's yeah. just you know on top of like more produced tracks. Yeah, it's the rough edges well, are, are are sanded off a little bit. I guess. I mean, these this first album not as well produced as Future Pil, but probably more musical than the Sex Pistols, and the songs are longer, and it's all of his angry poetry. There's a great song on there about religion. I think it's called Religion. Um, but it's it's the kind of thing, again, it's not like a toe-tapper. It's more like you sit down and you listen to the goddamn thing and you go, ah. Actually, the first track is him just reading the lyrics, and then this, this second track is the song. Like he, I want you to hear what I'm saying, I think is what he's doing. I just will uh, go on record and tell you now that uh, the album with Rise on it, the one where they did the the like generic, the generic yeah stuff, yeah, album. For the marketing. I have album, I have cassette, and I have CD in my collection, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> just, to, just to cover all the bases. So, right, you know that's me. oh, and I, I downloaded it off of iTunes. So there's a bonus track on there that's like an hour long interview with John Lydon from. You know, like just before this album came out, so it'd be like 77, 78, just after Sex Pistols broke up, just before PIL happens. And he is wonderfully obnoxious. I almost recommend this album just for the interview with him talking about how much the other Sex Pistols suck. <laughs> He's like, I, go find them. I challenge you to get them to tell you how what the lyrics to any of those songs were. They don't know our lineup. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> at least he's honest. And oh yeah, and Malcolm McLaren, I want my money. Okay, you know how hard it is to put together a new band with no money. I want my money. You owe me money. It's 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 hilarious. <laughs> and this poor interviewer keeps trying to ask him questions, and he keeps batting him away. Like you know, what kind of nonsense are you asking me about? And just like oh oh okay, uh, that that he should have seen coming. I mean, it's not like there weren't interviews with Johnny Rotten when he was still in the Sex Pistols. Come on, yeah, yeah really. <laughs> I I think he just enjoyed like making a journalist suffer. I think that's all it is. Anyway, I mean, that's what sport. I got. It's sport. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Nice. Excellent. Super. I got I got a handful of things we can hit, I guess. Yeah, um, go for it. So real quickly, I mean, I'm still watching all the shows I've been talking about in previous episodes, but I'll just call out, you know, Miracle Workers, Oregon Trail has been easily the least uh, entertaining of the three seasons of Mir- Miracle Workers <laughs> really? so far. Because the way you describe but- it, it sounds really entertaining. It is entertaining. It's just that the first two seasons are much better. This third yeah. season, though, I think I understand now why they made Oregon Trail. And the I, I submit that it's entirely likely that the only reason they even made this whole series of television this season is to do the scene where Daniel Radcliffe, having getting massively fucked up on snake oil, performs a disco-slash-vogue rendition of She'll Be Coming Round the Mountain in, like, <laughs> full-on cabaret outfit. 
She'll be driving six white horses when she comes. She'll be driving six white horses when she comes. She'll be driving six white horses. She'll be driving six white horses. She'll be driving six white horses when she comes. So when, so when they conceived the series, you think that was what they had in mind? For the, no, I, then when, what? The third season, like to just, okay. I mean, this one is guy Daniel was like, Radcliffe I got an idea for a YouTube video. There. Yeah, I got a YouTube yeah, video. No, 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 uh, bigger. Yeah. <laughs> so in this Oregon Trail uh, sec- segment, uh, does anybody die of dysentery? Have they done that yet? Um, I think they made a dysentery joke in at, like the first minute of the first episode okay. of the season. Yeah, you, you kind of have to if you're doing Oregon. Yeah, trail, but they right? also made it a COVID joke, right? Okay. So anyway, there I mean go. it's fun, but honestly, I think season two of Miracle Workers is is so far the best. Um, movies, movies. So, is, but one question ahead. is: Oregon Trail now like fully subsumed by the video game of your? Is it like? I mean, it's a it's a shorthand, right? Yeah. Like, if you say Oregon Trail, you're going to assume there's going to be fording rivers and dysentery. Mm-hmm. I guess that's yeah. kind of what the game is. But because the media uh, is the message, yeah. I guess Marshall McEwen was right. <laughs> I mean, Miracle Workers is basically just Simon Rich um, taking some of his short stories and and using the same cast and crew to make a TV series, a season of a TV series. That has nothing to do with the previous two seasons. They just—it's all the same people getting nah. together, and so it's Daniel Radcliffe and Steve Buscemi, and you know, doing Simon Rich stuff. It's good stuff. Like yeah. what other shows have done that? Like American Horror Story, right? Has done that. I approach. guess. And yeah, I'm trying to—I'm th- trying to think of others that have done that, but I'm yeah, drawing I'm, a blank. I, I think. I, think I don't was, know. You know, that was more in the '50s and '60s when they had like the you know texaco theater presents and then they would you know have like the same cast doing a new story okay yeah but maybe I mean, this I is like whole that. seasons right Where yeah any i don't know anyway it's 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 lighthearted. it's you know it's easy goes down easy kind of kind of show <laughs> uh movies i went and saw the protege with maggie q um that's one we keaton Michael Keaton, right? That's the one with Mike and Keaton. It's directed by Martin Campbell, who directed Goldeneye and Casino Royale. Yeah, yeah. And the Green Lantern movie, so, you know, he's hit or miss. <laughs> I read I read he was doing some interview where they were doing a promo for Protégé, and Martin Campbell was basically talking about how shitty most action movies are these days because they just don't cue to any sort of <laughs> like physical geography with the way they put them <laughs> together. He was very vocal about it. And I, I trust the guy. He's made uh, a mostly good track record of action flicks. And he made his, my yeah, favorite Bond. Revived, yeah, he's revived Bond twice. Uh, so he knows what he's talking about. And he was basically dissing Michael Bay more than anything. So <laughs> oh, well, he definitely should diss Michael Bay. I mean, the action in this is pretty hard-hitting. You know, they're definitely trying to go for that atomic blonde John Wick thing here. Yeah. Um, Give Martin Campbell and his unit second unit credit. They're Michael Keaton, who is like pushing seventy years old, and Samuel L. Jackson, who is even older, um, <laughs> are playing assassins in this thing. And Keaton has a full-on fight scene, um, you know, John Wick style fight scene. And the way it's shot and edited, uh, they sell it as Michael Keaton being a tough guy. Uh, <laughs> you know, so he's pretty spry. He's pretty spry. You know. 
okay, but the whole movie hinges on you, the audience, believing that Maggie Q, who is like 40, uh, and Michael Keaton, who is like 70, are assassins who are at you know at odds with each other in terms of their professionalism, but they really really want to screw all the time, and this is making that difficult. And so you have to buy that there's sexual chemistry between these people who are way way way. I mean Hollywood levels of you know too far apart, but but both are over forty, and that undercuts the whole movie, right? Like Maggie Q is doing her best, and Keaton delivers a good performance, but. Boy, I just don't buy their sexual chemistry at all, and it, it, it well, that's too. It doesn't bad. work if you don't. Oh well, yeah, that's it's, not 1955 anymore. Yeah, it's funny to think though. Like in the 80s, action movies were all full of like you know these 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 no neck muscle guys, and then Michael Keaton shows up as Batman and says basically now okay, we can do these with real actors. You're going to have to learn mm. to actually act. And so all of those muscle head guys were out of a job, right? And now mm-hmm. the new thing is you need to be able to fight like John Wick. Everybody is doing these like <laughs> mise-en-scene fight sequences where you don't get to take a break and the editor can't help you. And it's kind of <laughs> funny to think now that Michael Keaton is in that position where it's like, oh, uh, I guess I got to do this now. Oh, Oh, the editor yeah. can help you if the protege. I mean, they—it's definitely cut cleverly so that you know his face isn't in a lot of the longer shots or whatever. But, but they sell it and they don't resort to the born confuso vision shaking game <laughs> crap. <laughs> yeah, I right? hate that. I hate that. That's Paul Greengrass's uh, testament to the shooting. That's what of action cinema. That's what it's ruined just... Snake Eyes was. They had yeah. all these people who could do martial arts, but then they shot it like that. And it's like, well, yeah. I can't see them do it what they're good at thank you movie yeah, they, yeah. well that's like they, you watch the f- they, how did they ruin the toy merchandising film yeah really <laughs> by not having enough toys but anyway uh, well just <laughs> we the fact that you go that from like weeks ago you go from the born identity that's done by doug lyman and it was passable he's not like the biggest stylist but at least he's got a certain uh way about handling it the, like the handheld cameras and such. But then you get the second and third one by Paul Greengrass, and it is, it's just that jerky-herky, in-your-face, like, what am I looking at at any given time sort of stuff, and it's just like, yeah. just, oh, fucking quit it, It's man. like we're cranking up the tension by irritating you, Yeah, right? And so then you as, <laughs> as the viewer, you know, yeah, you're, exactly. you're on pins and needles. Um, one other movie... Um, I, I every, of course I was going to watch this. If you've been listening to the show, uh, I did finally get around to watching Annette uh, this week. Okay. And Annette is a film that was—it's an opera. Let, let's be clear: Annette is an opera, but written by Sparks, by Ron and Russell Mail, and directed by the guy whose last film was Holy Motors, the French director, uh, Leos Carrex, or however you pronounce his name. Yeah. I think Leo um, Carrots works. Leo Carrots. <laughs> Leo, hey, Leo sure. Carrots is like a gangster. Hey, Leo Carrots. Hey. Joey Pants. Leo Carrots. <laughs> yeah. So here was my takeaway from, from Annette early on. And I, and I have to say that it's a, it's a way too long movie. Okay, Annette needs to be cut by about a half an hour. And almost all that needs to come from the first half. Because the second half is much better than the first half. But, okay. So if you speak Italian... Is opera, like, really annoying in the sense that, like, 
we're telling you every feeling really explicitly. Like, this is how I'm feeling. Uh, this is exactly what I'm thinking. You know, no, like, it depends on the writer. God. Okay, because, man, I mean, Sparks have always been lyrically at kind of, a, you know, like a third grade reading level. <laughs> and so is Annette. And it also was written like around the time of Little Beethoven. So it's very, very repetitive and it's very, very literal. It's like they don't trust the audience at all. <laughs> um, that being said, it's also definitely like it's not fluff. This is a serious piece of art from both Sparks and from the director about shitty people being shitty to other people and the ending is just unsparing and brutal um Adam but, you Driver know, an opera that's like yeah. I'd love to see him sell it like that but you know they're singing <laughs> well you know and it's shot the way the film version of Les Mis was shot in that they're singing on set right oh. so the microphones aren't always nearby and you can hear the room noise and 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 whatnot and Adam Driver, man, everybody in the movie is giving it their all. I mean, our leads are Adam Driver, Marion Cotillard, and whatever the... Uh, I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but one of the guys from The Big Bang Theory of all things, the, the guy who plays Moist oh, uh, in the Simon Doctor something. Horrible. Like Simon Helsberg or something Hel like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. All of them deliver, just really deliver. And they, you know, they have to do some capital A acting while they're also singing and and while the camera is doing interesting moves I mean everybody puts their A game on on this thing it's just it just beats you over the head <laughs> uh, um, like a it cudgel ain't no Tosca it's a, it's a cinematic <laughs> cudgel yeah I mean yeah it, it's and, and it's also just off-putting. I mean, Adam Driver's character, big shocker, is an asshole, right? And at no point is he a redeemable asshole. <laughs> so he's very, he's very much still this just self, self-absorbed, abusive dick. And he still shows you the inner life of this character and still takes you on a journey. And he's, he's in just about every shot. Almost he, Adam driver's all over this movie. Uh, oh, I, I didn't like it. I, I, I'm happy to have seen it. I never need to watch it again. Um, <laughs> fair enough. That and this sounds from like, a you know, Sparks half, fan. Yeah. That's like half the Sparks oh. album catalog, really for most the, people. <laughs> I mean, the music is good, but it beats you over the head. Also, the titular character of Annette is their daughter, which is played by a puppet. <laughs> like, a puppet with obvious joints. Like, There's nothing weird about that at all. Oh, it's so off-putting. Yeah. But it is actually played by a puppet for a thematic reason, and it does have a payoff. Okay. But... Yeah, at the point at which the puppet shows up, you, like you've you've kind of been like, okay, get to the point, and then the movie takes the puppet shows up, and you're just like, oh god, and now we're just going, we're just spiraling into just, ooh, okay, mm, yeah. wow, mm. yeah, <laughs> really, really um, does make me want to really see it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know that you need to see it, but it is. A, I, I have to give them credit. It is art in that you have to kind of wrestle with this thing. Okay. Um, How many superheroes so, are in it, though? That's the big question. Um, yeah. I mean, Kylo Ren That's is not a our superhero. lead. Come on. <laughs> um, I said the other guy was moist from Doctor Horrible. That should count for something. Okay. Um, I guess Cody Yard was from Batman and, or whatever. Yeah, she was. She was Talia Al Ghul in Batman. Okay. okay. Right. So. All right. No. Enough said. Enough said. Now shut up with that crap. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Chris, what's your fresh shit? Uh, I'll keep it brief because uh, you know. We tend to run long on these things. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to the last episode of What If on uh, Disney Plus, the Marvel show, because uh, here's a spoiler. Plug yours if you don't want to hear the spoiler. Uh, the fact that they kill all of the Avengers before everybody Fury can assemble the team made me laugh so much that I can't even <laughs> express the joy it uh, brought to me. Uh, it was genius. Uh, so it was fun to watch, like the Hulk just explode from within, like just into a yeah. billion pieces. That was just amazing. Uh, watching, you know, Thor about ready to do the hammer bit and get it in the first movie. And then, uh, Hawkeye like shoots him through the chest with an arrow. I mean, it yep. was just, you know, just all kinds of stuff. So they kill Iron Man, they kill Thor, they kill the Hulk, they kill, uh, Hawkeye, they kill Black Widow, and so basically there's no Avengers. <laughs> and I yeah, that the, that payoff is amazing, and I thank them for it. So that's exactly the kind of stuff they need to be doing on that show. Does it Why does not? it end with the uh, the Chitari uh, uh, destroying New York? No, because because Loki exactly yeah because Loki comes down to take vengeance for Thor being killed, uh, and then they end up forming an alliance. Of sorts. Loki ends up taking over the world. Let's yeah. be clear. <laughs> yeah. And then that leads um, to there's him. just no resistance. Yeah. And then he gets to give his stupid speech that they scoff at in the first Avengers movie, but this time it's like everybody's just okay, whatever. I mean, it's I just like we were made they, to be ruled. Yeah, All right. They, they subvert the whole thing, and that's exactly what I've been waiting for with this show. Because the other the other two have been Tom okay. Hiddleston, Tom Hiddleston is better at playing the character of Loki in this episode of What Is than he is in the show Loki. Well, because in the show um, Loki, he's not really Loki per se. I mean, it's you know, right. It's kind of he's irritating. one of the Lokis. Yeah, so true. It's fun. So, so that what if what if has been hit and miss for me? Like everybody, all the reviewers, everybody was all excited about the second episode, which was the what which, if T'Challa was Star Wars. I didn't like it. The, the, I didn't like it at all. It the was only fan servicey. The, the only the fun thing about that one is when you watch it to the end, you realize that Chris Pratt is the worst actor in the entire MCU. <laughs> it's like if you can get upstage by a dead guy playing a cartoon character, then you better just pack it in, Star Lord. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. He's no, one I didn't of our many that one up last week. Yeah, because. Like that's the one that includes our pal Thanos, right? And just Ugh. no, yeah, just it was, no. But but yeah, killing all the Avengers is not a terrible conceit for <laughs> a, a what if. I I thought it was fun because they finally just had some fun with it. Because the first one was basically just uh, Captain America first Avenger, but hey, let's put Peggy in the Captain America role instead. I mean, it was just it was rote. And last last week's with T'Challa was yeah. Again, kind of just, oh, let's just do the same thing, but with this character. Whereas this one, they're like, fuck it, we're just going to kill them all. Who cares? That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, I hope they do more of that. 
So, yeah. Otherwise, More it's been killing a, of the Avengers. Yeah. Otherwise, it's been a really slow week, and uh, I don't have anything new to add. So, All right. <laughs> I'm let's just get on with the there. show, then. Shall we? Yes, let's. Okay, so, I don't know. Maybe it's because I saw Fantastic Planet a few months back, or uh, I, I, I saw uh, like a YouTube video that was talking about Bakshi's Lord of the Rings because it's the 20th anniversary of Jackson's Lord of the Rings. But for whatever reason, like... I've just been kind of like had this itch for 70s cartoon stoner adult, quote unquote <laughs> adult yeah. shit. And we talked about a number of possibilities and decided that the least painful would be 1981's Heavy Metal. Yeah. Tur- just turned 40. So this is uh, serendipitous. Oh, it, uh, you're actually like this week, I yeah, think. Yeah, like, no, like the seventh. So you've been about two or three weeks, but yeah. It's That's a clickbait right there. Yeah, right? Ooh, 40th so, anniversary good job. Good job. of Heavy Metal. Heavy oh. Metal is a movie derived from... Uh, there was originally he- heavy a, metal a magazine. French... Yeah. Ma- well, there was Heavy Metal Magazine, which was an American reprint of a French magazine called uh, Metal Hurlant. I don't know how you pronounce that correctly. Uh, Close enough. Close enough. Um, and it's, you know, it's basically... A magazine of of little stories told by people who normally are illustrating like the covers of pulp fantasy novels like Conan books or yeah. or whatever. It's it's huge boobs and monsters and it's it's well they made a movie out of several of the stories that did originate in the magazine. Yeah, and, and by pro- God, there it is. And it's produ- <laughs> produced by Ivan Reitman. Master sure. of the Which sci-fi explains epic. The cast yeah. of SCTV doing half of the voices. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, it's a Canadian production, so you kind of get all of that going. Yeah. Uh, but it's just weird getting the voices of like John Candy, Eugene Levy, uh, Joe Flaherty, yeah. Harold Ramis. Yeah. But they're not really doing anything except just playing it straight for the most part. Kinda. I don't know. It was just weird. so. Heavy metal like came out swing, and I remember. So they had a whoever did the licensing for the soundtrack, like fucked up. That's <laughs> they had, fucked up. Yeah, had a lot of cocaine or something. Yeah. Well, but, I, yeah, it must have been a period when you didn't need to worry about licensing. But that movie yeah. was unattainable except for the prints that were touring midnight movies sessions because right they never got the licensing for that fucking music and. Yeah. It, it actually like what, took, like, it actually like, took the passage of time so that those songs were no longer or no longer popular, so that they could put it on videotape. Yeah. Well, yeah. it also, yeah, we can we can talk about some of that. I think. Well, we might as well just talk about it now. I mean, eventually, the rights to heavy metal were bought by Kevin Eastman, who was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles creator. Yeah, and I think he spent some of that turtles money trying to pull this thing together. To it's get just, the, the, the well, whole video, it's such a, right? It's such a weird storied history because you get the movie, it does boffo in Canada, but in the States, it kind of just, whatever. They made their money back. But with because of the soundtrack rights issues, it basically just disappeared. It wasn't on home video or anything. So it doesn't come out in what, like, till like 95 or 96. Uh, and then it's this super cult thing. 
And I think that works in its favor because as a standalone movie, it's terrible. Yeah, it, it doesn't <laughs> really work. But because yeah. it becomes this forbidden fruit kind of thing, I think it just grew in stature over yeah. time. Let, let's it talk about have, it. Did have an initial video release though? Because I saw mm-hmm. it like on video when I was in junior yeah. high. Okay, and yeah, well, I think that's the one that got again. I think that's the one that got oh. yanked. So oh, yeah, I saw really this. I saw this thing in the theater. Okay, so... In 1981? In 1981. So I'm like nine years old, just about to turn wow. 10. Your parents were and not good. My yeah, good well, Lord. So my parents were divorced, and I'm going to summers <laughs> okay. at my dad's house. And I have a, a, an older brother who at this point is about 14, and a stepbrother who at this point is about 12. And they talked my dad into taking us to all kinds of things that I shouldn't have gone to. And heavy metal was among these, right? Nice. So. I get to go, I think I was actually, the, the three of us, nine years old, 12 years old, 14 year old boys in 1981, that's the actual target audience it is, seriously. for this R-rated movie, yeah. if we could have all gotten really stoned. But we couldn't. But other than that, I think we were actually the target audience, because boy, is this a juvenile oh, it <laughs> movie is, it is, for 10-year-old yeah. boys. Agreed, I think it's agreed. because 18-year-olds who are high become very juvenile. It's like they well, knew it was for fair. kids who were going to get high. But yeah, it's like a 14-year-old getting yeah. high. I don't know what that's like. Well, here's really the <laughs> selling point for the movie, to, even to this day. Uh, it's the the soundtrack which we can get into in a bit because let's face it, yeah. that is not a timeless soundtrack by any stretch. It also <laughs> really, has very little heavy metal on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's what that's uh, what my wife said. She's like, "What are you listening to?" I'm like, "Oh, the movie Heavy Metal." That's not heavy metal. What? Yeah. What is that? Oh, that's Don yeah, Felder. Yeah. Who's Don yeah, Felder? Yeah. Oh, he was in the, the Eagles. Eagles. That's yeah. not heavy yeah. metal. The Eagles. Yeah. <laughs> and then Don and Felder <laughs> trying to do yeah. his version of of Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. So there's the soundtrack, and then, uh, like I said, it's the Forbidden Fruit thing. But then there's like every sequence has just gigantic boobs. Uh, flouncing about but they're like really unnatural cartoon boobs oh yeah like <laughs> just don't make any s- boobs this yeah big. <laughs> they don't make any sense uh if you've actually seen a real pair of boobs and so it's just funny to watch aesthetically because it's like just so like teenage boys dream about what boobs should look like on screen and it's just not yeah yeah, because so, they're just like these big giant mountains and the giant areolas and really thick nipples. It's like every pair of boobs looks the same in this thing, and it didn't dawn on me until years <laughs> later that that's some weird graphic thing that they're yeah, working they're, towards. It's all like Conan the Barbarian art right. versions yes. of women. Oh, and I, so I would dumb. love the idea, though, of a woman being like, you know, women don't look like that. Shut up! Yeah. <laughs> well, did, did have you guys seen that episode of South Park from like season 11 or whatever? It's called Major Boobage, and it's uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone's uh, sort of uh, salute to heavy metal. But the whole gist of the episode is that Kenny gets addicted to sniffing cat urine, which is apparently supposed to be really, really psychotropic. And he goes into the heavy metal world, and everything is just basically women with giant boobs, and he's trying to just <laughs> feel the boobs. And they, they bring in the music from the actual soundtrack to the heavy metal movie. So you get Don Felder, and you get Sammy Hagar, yes. and the whole nine yards. It is so funny. <laughs> but it, to a T, just deflates everything about heavy metal in 30 minutes or less. It's amazing. 
it's it's not hard to deflate everything about heavy metal i don't yeah. know if you need 30 minutes uh it's an anthology so i was thinking we could just kind of step through it a little bit is that okay sure. yeah. yeah cool all right so heavy metal is an anthology film tied together by the Lochnar, which is a green sphere that liquefies people when it feels like it <laughs> and is yeah. voiced by percy rodriguez who like his voice is very recognizable if you think of like horror movie trailers from the 1980s. A gruesome secret has been protected for generations. Into this world come three young women drawn by the beauty of the land, unaware of the mystery it holds. How could they have known that what they would discover would call forth Deadly blessing. Like he's he's this close to being Darth Vader, right? Yeah. Like he's like Darth Vader's cousin. It's like the um, guy, the guy who in a world where the guy who did those yeah. voiceovers, he was the yeah. guy who came in after Percy because Percy died, and then it was like, okay, well, gigs open. Damn. <laughs> yeah, who wants really? to be the yeah. freaky voice of uh, previews? It's a definite aesthetic. But yeah, literally every scene though is him going, the Loch Nahr knows all. It will blah, 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 blah. Do not try to escape. You are in my control. Look at me. I am the sum of all evils. Look carefully. My power invests all time. The Loch Nahr, which kills everybody it runs into in the movie within seconds except for this girl that it's like talking to and talking well, to and talking to but this is the framing device right yeah. the Lochnar has is has arrived and is terrorizing this girl and is telling it the girl how badass the Lochnar is so our first story goes to Harry Canyon which is apparently from actual like metal herlong uh, written by Dan O'Bannon and illustrated by renowned and very influential artist Mobius. Yeah. And you cannot watch that segment and tell me that Luke Besson did not see it as a teenager and yeah. make the fifth element. I mean, it's literally the fifth element from top to bottom. It's yeah. so irritating. Well, Dan O'Bannon was the writer of Alien. and I mean, like, yeah. Mobius in general inspired a whole lot of production design, yeah. including Blade Runner. And, and But but absolutely, you're right. Fifth Element is a... Yeah. In fact, that's funny because my wife was watching this and she's like, this this guy is like, is like every... Bruce Willis doesn't know how bad an actor he is because he just plays this guy and didn't even put together the Fifth Element reference. <laughs> yeah, because it's literally about a cabbie getting embroiled in some weird thing with a girl. A future cabbie. Yada, yada. Yeah. And it's like there's flying cars, and the, even the cab design looks about the same. I mean, it's just, I watch it now, and I'm like, oh, Luc Besson, you glorious bastard, you. <laughs> it's just so stupid. Yeah. There's, it's New York City 2031, where yeah. the Twin Towers are decayed, and the Empire State is for sale, and Rockefeller Center is where the hookers are. You know, and the cops will investigate your, your case cash up front. Yeah. <laughs> It's so just, basically, just, they, what they got wrong was the World Trade Center. Basically. Yes. But it's just, it's such a, a ridiculous story. It's like a film noir, 
esque sort of thing. But then they they work in just randomly where the girl has to take her clothes off so she can have sex with Harry, and that's like the first set of major boobage. <laughs> and it's so like it's it's to the point where it's not even gratuitous at, at this point. It's just sort of okay. Well, we were a cartoon, so we don't have to adhere to the the standards and practices quite so much. So let's just go for it. And it's this long drawn out like just totally ridiculous sequence. Oh. But when you're 12, you're like, yes, yes, thank you. But as an adult, you're like, no, that's just, come on, yeah. knock it off. <laughs> Eric, anything about the first segment? Uh, yeah, I thought that was actually, when I was a kid, I thought that was the best part of the movie. And now I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, it's- I, I, hope, I hope that the other stuff is better than this. It's a def- it's a weak lead off, right? It's definitely yeah. a weak lead off. It's but it's just, it's thematically it's got the most going. Well, not thematically. It, 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 visually, it's got the most uh, that you can latch onto. You know. Yeah. It, it's like if you'd have started with the uh, Conan the Barbarian babe, or if you'd started with the 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 coke sniffing aliens in the smiley face ship, then yeah. you'd mm-hmm. be a little out to sea. I think this is yeah. a nice way of like working you in. Yeah, this one definitely feels more like an outlier from the overall aesthetic, and so I guess that's why they threw it first. But does I the, mean it, yeah. it's very much you know a moving Mobius illustrated story. Like they've got his art style down. A Mobius um, yeah, strip. My f- ah, <laughs> yeah. My my favorite my favorite bit in this, of course, is our our hero Harry Canyon has a. Um, an annihilation beam in the back of his cab. So when when apparently everybody tries to stick him up, he just hits a button on the floor of his cab with his foot, and it vaporizes the guy in the back. And he's like fucking moron. And he takes their gun and throws it in his glove box full of weapons because that's just kind of how it goes. Yeah. But I have to point out that it's also a sexist annihilation beam because when he does it to the punk at the beginning of the comic, it just kills <laughs> him. When he does it to the woman, it takes her clothes off. Yeah. And then annihilates exactly. Her. <laughs> It's the beauty. So of it. heavy metal, everybody. Welcome to the show. Yeah. Ugh. The yeah, that rolls into that next sequence called Den, which is about a kid that finds the meteorite and then winds up being oh. like a Conan type. You talk about just gratuitous boobage. That's l- John Candy of <laughs> Mars is Den. <laughs> yeah. No hair. Mmm. <laughs> Big. There was no way I was gonna walk around this place with my dork hanging out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's basically John Carter of Mars. It's just, oh, I can't, I can't even look at it with a straight face uh, anymore because it's just, it's just like this is when you start looking at. Well, maybe they made this thing on a budget because the animation basically looks like Thunder the Barbarian with tits. I mean, yeah. they had like four or five different animation houses working on it at once, so yeah. like nobody was talking to each other. Everything looked different. But I, I, I think this is like about the last of any. Story you know, structural storytelling that's going to happen. You know, it's like after this, it's just, (laughs) it's just, I don't know, not so much nonsense as it's very French. Well, yeah. The, well, they start with the two narrative bits that are very structural and then it just evolves into this weird stream of consciousness thing, uh, as it goes along. Cause after you get through with Den, then you get into the captain Stern. And then from there, it's just all bets are off. It's just like this, this freewheeling, cartoon thing. I mean, again, it's basically an issue of the magazine. 
right? Because yeah. the magazine is is a bunch of little stories, and some of them are serialized over several issues. Den was one of those. Den was uh, written by uh, Richard Corbin, I guess. And yeah, it basically was this, and it's just it just reads and feels like it was written by a 13 year old boy. It's like, exactly. this is, I want to be the big muscle man and I want to fuck the girl. You know, they literally say, you know, she had the most beautiful eyes in a shot that is nothing but lingering on these enormous <laughs> cartoon boobs. Yeah. Right. And I mean, that's the selling point. That's why you watch heavy metal. I, yeah, I have to give credit to the red queen in the den episode who is the only fantasy, uh, naked chick. I, can recall who doesn't even bother with the battle thong right like she's just like look i'm i don't need armor fuck it yeah. i'm just gonna be naked and and fight you yeah know? <laughs> well as my wife when i was watching it she's like they're not even wearing thongs it's just literally like uh a thing around the waist and then the loincloth kind of just dropping in front i mean it's like they, they don't even bother with yeah. anything else i mean it's just yeah physically impossible <laughs> but den is just embarrassing to watch as a grown adult male right like it's just yeah. like oh Oh geez! Oh, this is yeah. yeah. It's, it it takes on very Hanna Barbera esque Ruby Spears type uh, aesthetic. So it it definitely it's much it's in it's with, much harder to masturbate to as an adult. Yeah. <laughs> See, true, true. Now we're getting yeah. to it. It it is easier to masturbate to it. But then John Candy speaks, and yeah. it sounds like John Candy. Yeah. Um, so anyway, after that, as Chris mentioned, we get. This this comical one, the Captain Stern, uh, bit. Don't worry, Charlie. I got I've an got angle. an angle. <laughs> so weird that that's <laughs> that that's Eugene Levy. It doesn't sound anything like him. Oh, it makes me laugh. But yeah, that's this, the one. Hanover fist. Uh, this this was one of my favorite episodes when I was a kid, right? And this, it doesn't even have any boobs in it. Um, right. This is the one where the 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 angle is the the witness for Stern, who's accused of like everything, um, yeah. like running a pe- like, like a pedo a sex room. N- yeah, never heard a fly, never did anything bad, unless you count selling dope while dressed as a nun. And the guy like beefs out and attacks him. Yeah. yeah. What I it's, don't understand yeah. though is that Hanover Fist finds the 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 lark knock or whatever. Right before he goes to the stand, and that's when he hulks out. But then by the end of it, it's like it was part of the plan that he hulks out. So what did the mm-hmm. you know the, the lark marble have to do with any of this? Shh, shh, shh. Eric, 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 shh, 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 shh. don't even try to overthink it. Okay, I'm so, sorry. So the point is <laughs> that by now the drugs should have kicked in. Uh. Yeah, this is totally <laughs> like stoner humor 101. It's just ridiculous. They collapse the space station. You get really shitty cheap trick, like Dream Police era <laughs> yeah. songs. It's just this is kind of where the wheels start to fall off the, the bus a little bit. Uh, yeah. In all honesty, to where there's no <laughs> stories, they're almost just like extended jokes. Yeah. It's like it's like Mad Magazine a little bit yeah. at this point. Yeah. Right. Like but, we've just wh- gone into comics. But where it all clicks into place for me, this is the. This is the segment that has the most impact to me is when they go into the B-17 one and you actually get the Don Felder song. That as a kid was always the one that grabbed me the most. Yeah, me too. The zombies on the B-17. I wanted that to be a whole movie. Yeah, exactly. Because it's, I think it's, I mean, it's kind of 
cheap the way it looks in retrospect, but they were using some really cool rotoscope effects and you get the bombers going over and it's the, the, the thumping bass of the Don Felder song and it just lends to this overall uh, mystique of the whole thing. And then the zombies attack the B-17, yada, yada, yada. And yeah, it's, it's a straight up poor thing. I mean, that's the kind of thing that needed more time. It needs like, right. you know, just a story to it, frankly. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was my problem with it. What's the plot of this segment? Yeah, and there were, well, and again, there, that's when it starts to fall off the, the rails a little bit, but whatever. Yeah, there is a movie that I'm going to get the title of it, uh, uh, but um, I talked about it a couple months ago, but it was basically, yeah, tying together the whole zombie thing and... Uh, oh, Blood World Red War Sky, II. I think is what you're talking about. No, no, that was that that horrible, like... like The vampire on a plane? Yeah. No, this... Overlord. That's right, oh, Overlord. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, of, of, of tying together that, that, that crazy horror with actual, you know, historical World War II stuff. I mean, World War I is even more gothic, if you ask me, because of all the gas masks and, you know, killing anybody any way you want to. But you could definitely make a great zombie movie tie-in to that. Yeah. I well, watched and 1917, one's... and I'm like, oh, you almost had a horror movie. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but this one is another Dan O'Bannon, so it's got his uh, fingerprints all over it. So, I mean, it really could just be another version of Alien, which is just, you know, it's a horror movie in space with the, the haunted mansion kind of thing. Yeah, uh, it's and that visually vibe. the rotoscope look, I mean, it's, it's a different look from Pink Floyd's The Wall movie that, yeah. you know, would... But but it has that same kind of vibe to it, right? Yeah, it's it's uh, very good by Blue Sky in terms of, of well, of I the, think it's just it's feel. I think aesthetically, it's just the most accomplished overall. Because once the Felder song ends and then the story kind of kicks into motion, you got the guy going to the back of the plane to check all the crew that are all dead, and you just have these giant holes that have been shot through the plane, and it's just this really super quiet. You hear the wind, and it's just all mood. And yeah. it just it doesn't fit the rest of the movie because it's not like in your face. It's not like over the top. There's no tits in it. It's just straight up horror. Yeah, and it how just can works. you masturbate to this? Yeah. <laughs> so it's just like they pluck it right in the middle and then move on. I mean, it's just sort of oh well, you know, this is your your dose of horror, and now let's get and on you get with it, and I remember thinking, did is it maybe that the pilot's the one who died? And this is what happens afterwards. Well, you know Exa what? We're not gonna we're not gonna linger on this too long. We're on to the yeah. next thing. Don't worry, yeah. boobs. Yeah. And so then you get the next one, so beautiful, so dangerous, where a spaceship shows up to the Pentagon, and that's straight up just Independence Day shit going on right there. And yeah. It's just so like <laughs> this again is based on something that was actually, you know, originally a, a comic, and it's mm -hmm. artist and writer Angus McKee's art, and it's this very airbrushed album cover style. Um, he does a lot more shading. Yeah. Especially the big happy face ship. This is the funniest, uh, and has the best of, of nudity. Yeah. Yeah. Easily yeah. the best nudity. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the most gratuitous by far, but it is the best. I'll give it that. But it's, <laughs> it basically a woman winds up having sex with a robot. That's sort of the, the gist. That was incredible. I've never felt anything like it. Oh, great. I've been programmed to be fully proficient in sexual activities. Do you want to go steady? Gee, I don't know. 
I already have a boyfriend, but... Uh, what he does not know will not hurt him. But I'd feel so guilty. Of course you would. Earth women who experience sexual ecstasy with mechanical assistance always tend to feel guilty. John Candy plays two characters that get laid. Only three char- characters in this movie get laid, and two of them are John Candy. <laughs> <laughs> Go John Candy. Yeah. Well, this one's got the... That's good Nyborg, man. John Candy and Harold Ramis just uh, snorting whatever space junk they've got on hand. <laughs> it's just... It's like... This one is the geared towards stoner thing to 100 degrees. I mean, it's just 11 all the way. You okay to land this thing? No problem, man. I think you're going a little high, man. It's okay, man. If there's one thing I know, it's how to drive when I'm stoned. It's like you know your perspective's fucked, so you just gotta let your hands work the controls as if you're straight. But this is also the one where they cut to the Sammy Hager song. Uh, It's also pretty much tied to the movie. And it's just... This song irritates me more than anything because he doesn't cue to any consistency. It's like it's one song with the riff, and then it does that like snappy, jazzy, uh, up-tempo chorus kind of thing, and it doesn't fit. The song always annoys me when I hear it, <laughs> uh, and I just I don't really know how to get past it. So I'm glad they used it very sparingly here. But yeah, it gets a lot of mileage. Sammy Hagar, okay. another one of those names who I remember in the 80s, everyone being like, oh yeah, he's a rocker. And then every time I'd hear him, I'd go like, he's lame. How are you yeah. listening to this shit? He can't even drive 55. I mean, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. And I remember a bunch of dopey kids in junior high would like spray paint the no on like, you know, any speed limit sign, like 35 miles an hour. I'm like, that's, you're just, you're just saying you're lame. You're just saying you're too lame to go find a 55 mile an hour speed limit and, you know, spray paint on that. <laughs> Fuck <Yeah>. you. So, <laughs> Sammy Hagar. Uh, but yes. This, but is, this is why amazing. we started listening to punk rock, because of all this weakness. <laughs> <laughs> and then we finally get to the signature piece for the movie, Tarna. Yeah. Uh, also based on uh, stuff written. Uh, written and illustrated by Mobius. The original, I guess, had no words at all. It was just all visual. Um, Which makes sense, because this one doesn't really have much. This felt like it should be, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So this is, again, Thundar the Barbarian with tits, um, pretty much. Which I also really would have appreciated this as its own movie. Yeah. I I thought it was great. Yeah. And and now that you mention it, yeah, this is when, when Aeon Flux happened, like, you know, 10, 15 years later, it was the exactly. same kind of, oh, silent chick who just kills shit. This is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is like the weird hidden uh, thing with heavy metal. It influenced so much that you don't realize until well after the fact. Like we've had oh, 40, 40 years this of this thing, thing now. But yeah. Hugely influential, this particular one. It's crazy. But this is definitely the one that they rip off for the South Park uh, and make a whole hell of a lot of fun with. <laughs> but this one just got like super gratuitous nudity that doesn't need to be there like like she just strips down to swim across a pool to go grab a sword and put on more clothing that's like basically just 
you know battle thong a, a thong yeah, <laughs> yeah. So she has stupid. she has this thing that guards her right shoulder that would have come in real handy later in the episode when he, she gets slashed with a saw on her right shoulder but yeah. oh well it wasn't there yeah but that's um, that's holding to the the early 80s fantasy aesthetic though where you basically just don't put him in any clothing whatsoever it's very death stalkery so yeah I'll, I'll give it a pass but it's just it's just dumb <laughs> So there were a couple of really impressive shots in this one that I assume were a combination of rotoscoping and the xerography things, but where she's flying on the back of this pterodactyl and it's a perspective shot flying over this alien Mobius-drawn landscape, perspective correct, and moving into the, you know, into the Z-plane of the camera. Like, generally speaking, that's hard to animate this way and they pull it off and and hold to the uh, to the aesthetic of the of the artist's style i thought that w- those were impressive shots i think that was like helicopter shots that they rotoscoped that's what it looks yeah. like to me so something I mean, like that they, they put some work into it which is there was uh, a lot of admirable. cheating back then yeah yeah well i mean you can think ralph Bakshi for that stuff i mean he was sort of the pioneer of the rotoscope and he did it to varying degrees of success with the lord of the Rings stuff <laughs> But they definitely <laughs> yeah. uh, perfected it in, in this particular movie. It's not quite so obnoxious. So, you know, we've already been well into spoilers, but we got to point out that the pterodactyl is, in fact, the hero of this episode because the woman doesn't actually do shit. The pterodactyl <laughs> saves her from, from her uh, slavery and imprisonment, ultimately defeats the bad guy, and, you know, survives. So... Yeah. Good job, pterodactyl. You did it. Ta-da. Well, you know, at least she gets uh, some cartoon Devo singing working in a coal mine. That is true. Actually, what was the point of that woman the entire time, other than to, you know, show us her her white-haired bush? I think well, by the time she's done slowly and luxuriously putting on her battle thong, the people who summon her to protect her them are well and truly beheaded. Yeah. Like, she protected nothing. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think, yeah. But then she goes on to uh, bestow her power onto the little girl from the the framing device uh, who becomes the new protector. Yeah, uh, and gets whatever. the pterodactyl because the pterodactyl is really. <laughs> well, it just shows up out of nowhere on this planet after the house yeah. explodes. It's like, this, this doesn't make any goddamn sense. I wish I was I mean, stoned right You got to read the Wikipedia page where it says apparently that that white haired lady is reincarnated into the girl. It's like, what? That was never hinted but, at. That was never explained. Yeah. That's, That's horrible. Like, yeah. Lock- yeah. The Lochnar could have could have saved himself a lot of trouble by just killing the girl instantly like it kills everything else instantly, but no. Well, you know, he's got a soliloquy. Yeah. You know how Lochnars like are. You know, they yeah. can't fucking stop yapping. <laughs> la la la. I had yeah. a Lochnar once. God damn it, I had to keep it in a jar. Just I was tired of hearing it always going off on the mouth. <laughs> The Lochnar. Shut up, Lochnar. Well, I will so, give it this. The anthology format works in its favor because if you look at like this, even the sequel that came out in 2000, it's just terrible because it's just this one narrative and it's just stupid to watch. You get so tired of it so quickly that well, you, you want to Eric turn it says, off. I wanted to see a whole movie of that. Then there's Heavy Metal 2000. <laughs> Which, yeah, but it's the wrong movie. I mean, Heavy Metal yeah. 2000, it's like watching, like, are you familiar with the movie Rock and Roll? It came out like 1985. And it's, uh, it's another, it's like this, where they get a bunch of pop stars and rockers to do the soundtrack, like Lou Reed and such. And, but it's this ridiculous, insane story that doesn't make any sense. It's like if 
a future thing where dogs and rats have mutated into what is now humanity and there's some goo that blah 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 it's just it's it's tiresome and you can't watch it because it's just i mean it, yeah you just you finally give up after about 30 minutes going i can't that's what you think you want from a heavy metal movie when you want the longer narrative but what you really need is these little segments that don't tie together maybe but it's just yeah. like the magazine and then yeah all's well and done so kevin eastman the teenage mutant ninja turtles guy had bought heavy metal magazine and was married to penthouse pet julie strain mm-hmm. and heavy metal 2000 is written for julie strain to be the you know the person rotoscoped and also the voice actress for this character i guess i haven't seen heavy metal 2000 i've heard it's dreck so uh, i never bothered yeah with it. i mean it's they make a good show of it and they get michael ironside to do the the bad guy uh so it's almost there but it's just not and and the music is ter- and the music is terrible which when i when you watch it you, you sort of think back on the heavy metal from 1981 and how the music is so dated it's like well if they made it today like who would they get like in the 90s you'd get all that new metal stuff you'd maybe get bang bang now if they made it today you couldn't you couldn't even get anything metal i mean metal doesn't really exist now right so it'd yeah. be like all like trap music and stuff like that. <laughs> it's well, like it would so, just ape whatever. If you, thank you for the segue. If you made it today. So in 2008, Eastman is working with David Goddamn Fincher on a revival of heavy metal. Oh, God. And this ultimately goes through Fincher and then to Robert Rodriguez and back. But it actually is being made today. It's just called Love, Death, and Robots, yeah. and it's on Netflix. Uh, they gave up on the heavy metal branding, and they just took the work that they had done, and they turned it into Love, Death, and Robots. So I've only seen like the first two episodes of the first season of Love, Death, and Robots, but okay, it's, yeah, it, I it, could, it, it is it, heavy metal, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> it is, and it, and it does a, a decent job. It's hit or miss, depending on which segment you watch, but uh, some of them just look glorious. They put a lot of time and effort into it, unlike heavy metal, which just looks very slapdash. Uh, from the I think it was go. probably like high tech for the time, though. Hey, maybe, yeah, I yeah guess absolutely. You're right. And that that's for a the CDC I- co-production. That's the, that's the reason it took well in Canada. Is yeah. it, the government was co-funding it? A. Well, I, apparently it was I, the. I got to give props to that because that is because that is the thing, right? Like, there's no computer animation here. Right. Not this right is now. this is very much late seventies technology and this is this is the sort of pinnacle of nerd boy playing Dungeons Dragons in the basement in the seventies animation yeah. drug shit and it inspired a whole generation of nerds doing drugs and doing computer animation for the, yeah. the last, you know, forty years. Um, so it's a hugely influential work, even if it is dated. Yeah, yeah maybe that's the problem. It's not that the film isn't as good as we remember. It's that we're not properly medicated. <laughs> well, yeah. Believe it. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'll be on record. I've seen it uh, both ways, both mm-hmm. uh, uh, under, the influence, under the influence and straight. And uh, I don't remember the times I saw it under the influence. <laughs> So it's like, it's really just like reset every time the movie's over. Cause I do tend to forget 
what's in it until I I see it again for whatever reason. And, and so it's almost like a new movie every time. It's I, I came strange. back to it going, I kind of remember this one, this one, and this one, but there must have been others. And as it turns out, no, I remembered all of it. Yeah. So. yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, it's so haphazard. But the, the soundtrack, just when you look at the list and you listen to it, it's just, yeah, like Eric was saying earlier, it's like there's literally no heavy metal in this. Like maybe Sabbath. But it's like Sabbath without Ozzy. It's Sabbath when Dio was playing with them. And so it's just, even then, it's still like the weird version of Sabbath. So it's like, I don't get the the soundtrack at all. It's just so strange. Because it's got like uh, Stevie, Stevie Nicks in Nicks. it. Yeah. There's even some like, uh, I'm pretty sure they shows up. I'm pretty sure they were like, you know, I, I know it's called heavy metal, but I, I can't, I can't know. You know, it's like they, they, there was probably a discussion of, okay, it's called heavy metal. That doesn't mean we have to have heavy metal music in it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like journey to do their piano ballad. Yeah. (laughs) Or like, let's, (laughs) let's heavy metal. Let's throw some, uh, you know, uh, Steely Dan in there. I mean, it's like, come on. What is? There's nothing heavy metal about this. It's like pop songs. It's rock songs. I mean, Grand Fuck Railroad shows up in it for fuck's sake. Yeah. I mean, it's like, come on, man. Sounds of the 70s. Well, but what's funny metal. is that most of them ended up repurposing their songs for other albums that they put out for themselves. So like, Hagar put his out. I think Felder got to put his out. Uh, I believe Oyster. that Blue Oyster Cult wrote a song that they had to cut from the movie because it was spoilery for the Tarna episode. And I'm thinking yeah. to myself, oh, that's going to be a bad well, song. Yeah, well, it's a song that they, they literally titled Vengeance. And it's like, oh, that's a little too on the nose, isn't it? Don't you think? I don't, but I don't think they meant for it to be a representative of, you know, like when they say heavy metal, they're not talking about the music, though. Right? I mean, oh, I, I, don't think, but I, that's, mean I don't think it's but necessarily that's fair to say that we need heavy metal music in this. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, yeah, and if true. you think of it for this period, Molly Hatchet would have been completely um, <laughs> appropriate. <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's true. I mean, Meatloaf, for fuck's sake, we yeah. even had a career in the 70s. It's, I mean, yeah. Meatloaf's album covers could have easily been turned into a well, segment for this movie. <laughs> well, the one for Molly Hatchet with the dude with the axe on horseback, I mean, that's literally a fantasy movie writ large. And it's, yeah. the album is nothing like that. I mean, that just suggests this really dark, like, Black Sabbathy kind of thing, and it's like fucking Skinner rock. I mean, it's exactly, just so exactly. weird. So yeah, but if you look at Heavy Metal the magazine, I think uh, the one from Britain that had Judge Dredd was a 2000 AD. That is more heavy metal than heavy mm. metal. So I think you kind of just have to take it where you can find it. I guess I don't know. Just. Get Elmer Bernstein to do the interstitial music in your phone. Oh, that was the one thing I forgot to say. <laughs> the, okay, fun trivia. The Tarna theme by Elmer Bernstein was written for Saturn Three. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. The Another great Saturn Three. Uh, <laughs> All right, so I think I think we've pretty much covered it. If you are an 11 year old boy and you're on drugs and you can get into an R-rated movie, this is the one. Okay, but if you're not any of those things, yeah, it's 
it's a nice uh, piece of history well, and maybe watch something that was influenced by it. Well, it was I the would... <laughs> the the most profitable movie in Canada when it came out until a year later when Porky's took over. So, what the hell is up Canada? <laughs> I don't know. I like the idea of some girl who's a geek and is really into this to the point that she like drags her nerdy boyfriend with her to it and makes him go down on her while she watches this because it's her thing that she's into all the enormous boobage. Yeah. I'm like, that's that would be cool. Uh, that's the lost footage. That's the lost footage. I, I don't imagine that there are very many actual like human females who can relate to this movie on any level. But okay. nope. I think you're wrong. I think if you go to well, not Comic Con anymore. That's that's for everybody. But like there, Dragon Con. There, like look for the girl with the Rebel Alliance tattoo. Pull her aside and say, okay, I gotta ask you. <laughs> well, yeah, the Tarna costume is totally designed for cosplay, but yeah, like really true. like sexy time cosplay, not like your normal. So Yeah. <laughs> uh, All right. Well, if, if, if you know a woman like that or you are a woman like that and you want to correct me, send us a message. You can hit us up on Twitter. We're at MagHuge. Uh, go to our website, maghuge.com, and you'll find links to all the other ways to get to us. Facebook, Instagram, email, magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com, whatever. As always, we're trying to grow the show, so subscribe to the podcast, rate it on your podcast app of choice, and yeah, check us out. We'll see you again next week. Stay demented! And stay in school. Don't do drugs. Or maybe unless do you're drugs. at the midnight movies with your dad, <laughs> and you're like nine. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> heavy metal. You're okay. Do yeah. do drugs. Stay demented. Okay, I'm gonna stop. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>